The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. So you have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, good day to you from Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. It's Sunday, July 12th. It's 9.15 p.m. here where I am. It's episode 258 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Ken Flo's in Southern California. It's 10.13 in the morning on a Sunday. We're getting this in on a Sunday morning because it was the only time that our schedules would align. It's damn good to see you, um, but I'm fucking hurting for certain. I'm not going to sugarcoat <laughs> I, I can't even imagine, dude. First of all, uh, so what time is it there right now? So it's 9.15 p.m. So we went out and got some food after the fights. I, yep. I went to bed at like 4 a.m., got up at 7 or 4 p.m., I should say. I'm all fucked up. This will this show will set the record for the most curses in the history of the Anakin Florin podcast. <laughs> so Cody Merrow, get the explicit label up. I apologize to our listeners 14 and under. But, uh, you know, I'm half in the bag. I'm hungover. Hadn't had alcohol in like two weeks, so we turned it on a little bit last night. Slept for two hours. Yeah, man, here we are. It's been a little crazy. As you know, I've been communi- communicating with you. It's It's been nutty. Uh, I can't get into all the details of why it has been such a stressful week, but UFC 251 is in the can. So we've been essentially sleeping all day and uh, staying up all night so we could stay on U.S. time because we had that 10 p.m. Eastern pay-per-view window last night. So Right. I'm going to be up now until 5 a.m., and then uh, we got fighter calls with Cater and Ige tomorrow, man. Fucking A. Brutal, man. Brutal. Yeah, man. Uh, it, it's, it's crazy. Again, people don't understand the, the kind of work uh, and conditions that you guys need to uh, you know, perform under. It, it, it's amazing. Everyone, from the fighters to production uh, to you beast behind the mic, um, you know, pe- people just don't realize how hard you guys work. So th- thank you. It was a great show, man. It was awesome. Well, you know, I always miss you on the road, and uh, I hope our futures align again. Uh, we did launch Florian's Fight Forms on our Anakin Florian podcast YouTube channel last week, and uh, I know this is a passion project for Kenny Florian. You guys know how I feel about Kenny as an expert and as an analyst, and uh, essentially this is you giving video breakdowns for all of the UFC pay-per-views. Might even do one for Robert Whitaker and Darren Till because it's a big enough fight. Um, but I love the platform, and uh, I'm glad you got the first one in the can, my man. It was fun. It was great. And I think a lot of those things that we talked about in the breakdown kind of played out uh, yeah. last night. Um, so hopefully it was educational for the fans. And I hope to do more of those. And um, yeah, I'm excited to, to, to bring it to the YouTube channel. All right. So a lot to get to today. We will recap UFC 251. And then we got a couple different handicappers coming on to get you predictions for UFC Fight Night Cater versus Ige and the rematch between Davison Figueredo and Joseph Benavidez. But let us begin with headlines in the UFC welterweight championship between Kamar Usman and Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. You know, a lot of selective listening going on out there. I think people seem to think I referred to Kamaru Usman as the greatest welterweight of all time. I just said at this point, I'm not willing to have that conversation without mentioning his name. He is 12-0 and now in the UFC. He has tied George St. Pierre's record for successive UFC welterweight wins. And Ken Flo, stylistically, he may not be everybody's cup of tea, but the name of the game is winning. He has been so dominant throughout his UFC career, only lost a couple rounds to Colby Covington, if you want to say he did lose two rounds. And, uh, you know, until somebody is able to solve this self-proclaimed problem, I'm not, not, not sure what to tell you. This is the best welterweight in the world. 
Absolutely. And listen, uh, you know, I, I tweeted about this. You may not like it, but consistency, um, not taking damage during a fight and winning uh, is the name of the game. At the end of the day, all these guys that are complaining about, ah, it's a boring style. They're not going to pay his medical bills when he's, right, you know, right. 50, 60, 70 years old. If he has the, the ability to get to, to that age and, um, you know, again, legacy, I think, is going to be much more important. I think Kamaru Usman is making some good coin now as uh, a champion in the UFC. People are saying, well, he could make so much more and blah, blah, blah. Again, for some people, winning and consistency is more important than anything else. Um, and Usman knows exactly who he is. He knows what makes him very good. I think he will continue to work on those skills so he can have some more finishes over the course right. of his career moving forward. Uh, it's a work in progress. But again, there's not a whole lot of people that are shutting down Jorge Masvidal like that. Usman was able to do it. He's been able to do that against many opponents uh, with tremendous consistency. And, and you got you to gotta applaud those efforts. Um, you know, Habib Nurmagomedov, uh, is very much cut from that same cloth. Uh, of yeah. course, Habib may, might get some more finishes here and there. But, uh, you know, they're both tremendous wrestlers who utilize their ground and pound to get the win. Everybody can't be Justin Gaethje, as I said on broadcast. Yeah. You know, Gaethje, Usman's teammate now, when he set out to become a pro MMA fighter, he wanted to be the most exciting man in MMA. And he has pivoted a little bit in trying to become a championship-level fighter. And, uh he has his cake and eats it, too. As far as Kamar Usman and the lack of finishes, right? Khabib probably has better chokes, better overall uh, offensive jiu-jitsu. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, uh, and, and Habib isn't um, – I, I wouldn't classify him as a submission specialist per se. Right. Um, he's not the, the best at submissions, but he is the best in the world in his weight class. Um, and I, I would say he's probably a little bit more dangerous than Usman for sure on the ground. Yeah. So I know you haven't trained Kamaru, and I do think it would be interesting if he were to take a few months to really try to work on some of those chokes, right, and, and mm -hmm. just some of the grappling transitions. And not to say it's not in his arsenal. And again, people aren't getting past that first wall. So he's yeah. staying super busy in the clinch. He wasn't so much as worn by Mark Goddard last night for any lack of inactivity, but... I do think there's a little bit of a frustration there that the finishes haven't materialized. You saw Trevor Whitman try to softly push him in the direction of a finish late in the fight. Uh, but to your point, in terms of not absorbing damage, I mean, I saw him face-to-face -face on the desk on the post-show. Flo, not a fucking scratch-off, scratch man. And, and again, can we, can we remind everybody that he's facing the best in the world, that he's the world champion and taking on number one contender after number one contender? You're not going to have these crazy fights all the time, and you're not going to be able to finish these guys all the time. You know, as much as we'd like to say that and, and like to be able to do that, um, he is facing um, the elite of the elite. And uh, again, I think it's a work in progress. He'll continue to work on that side of his game. But um, you also got to know who you are, man, and what makes you you. So Dana White's appetite for the Kamar Usman-Gilbert Burns fight is so healthy that that is going to be the next undisputed UFC welterweight championship. Gilbert Burns has won six fights in a row, I believe. And uh, I think Dana really stylistically, Kenny, is fascinated by that matchup. I'm not sure physically how Doreno is going to be able to hold up on the ground. I mean, certainly you're the best guy to set up his jiu-jitsu credentials. But as we spin it forward for Kamaru, as he tries to break GSP's record in what would be his third title defense, 
how competitive do you think that Burns Usman fight is relative to the fight that we saw last night? You know, I, I think it's um, going to be a more competitive fight uh, for two reasons. One, the fact that both of these guys know each other extremely well. It is a huge advantage if you know exactly what your opponent can and can't do. Mm. Gilbert Burns is the only one in the welterweight division who knows exactly or as much as possible about Kamaru Usman. And I also think that the fact that they've trained a lot together on the ground would give, would give great hesitation to Kamaru Usman uh, in taking it there. Um, I think it would most likely be a fight that would have Kamaro standing up against Gilbert and we'd find out who the better striker is in that fight. Or he would utilize takedowns only late in the round, which doesn't give a whole lot of uh, time to Gilbert Burns to get a submission. Right. My understanding is that Gilbert Burns um, knows he's the better guy if they go to the ground and yeah. spending a lot of time there. That's got to be in the back of Usman's mind. I, I think uh, it yeah. doesn't mean that Usman can't win. It just means that uh, they've spent a lot of time together on the ground and Gilbert Burns knows exactly where uh, Kamaro's uh, vulnerable. And, right. I, and right. I think he gets the better of him on the ground, uh, you know, to, just to right. say it. Well, we congratulate Kamaru Usman. As I've said repeatedly on broadcast, I just think he is criminally underappreciated. And if the name of the game is winning, that is the only thing that he has ever done since winning the Ultimate Fighter in 2015, 12-0 now in the UFC. Really enjoyed that Trevor Whitman-led corner. I thought Carrington Banks, George Santiago, even his brother Mo Usman, who's a pro fighter himself, I think brings a different dynamic to that corner. And they just meshed really well. This was the first time they had all worked together collectively. Now, on the other side... Let's talk about Jorge Masvidal. He was missing his head coach, Mike Brown. And I got to tell you, I was in the parking lot of the Holiday Inn Express in Las Vegas when Mike Brown and Pedro Munoz were getting in their rental car to drive back to Florida. And you know the, the, the Mainer Mike Brown is such an affable guy and such a sweetheart. You should have seen the look on his face when he got into that fucking Nissan Rogue in Vegas to drive across the country to Florida, knowing that he wouldn't be able to corner Masvidal fighting for the undisputed welterweight title, and knowing he had to drive 37 hours, Mike Brown looked like he was going to hit any fucking pedestrian that came in that <laughs> Nissan Rogue's path. But a Nissan Rogue? Corner. Come on! <laughs> right, I mean, a Nissan Rogue for the cross-country trip. I mean, yeah. he have gone up a level. Um, but what were your thoughts on Masvidal? Um in terms of, of the corner, their uh, maybe lack of adjustments, and just his overall approach to the fight after what I thought was a pretty strong first round for him. I will say this. First of all, yeah, the first round was tremendous. I, Masvidal just has a tendency of coming out hot. Um, we kind of talked about that. Um, I assumed that he would probably try to take it to Usman early in that fight, see if he could catch him. Um, uh, he was very effective in that first round. Masvidal's a stud, okay? You know, you, you, you take the fact that he took this fight on six days' notice. He went out there, again, start to finish. There wasn't one second or one look in his eye like he was defeated. He was yeah. going for it the whole time. And we'll talk about, you know, Jose Aldo against Piotr Jan. Uh, but there was moments where you could see even an experienced fighter like Aldo where it seemed like he was really disheartened or didn't have that same kind of determination or look in his eye after, you know, a round or two. That was not the case for Masvidal, who had to deal with uh, just a bear in Kamaru Usman. And it's it's a fight that no fighter likes to be in. But Masvidal was right there. He never lost his will to win. He was going for it, came in for 25 hard minutes on short notice. Um, I, I thought that for anybody in the world – 
with those kind of circumstances, it would be very hard to look bad, uh, to, to look good. Right. Um, and for a lot of fighters, you could say, hey, you fight a guy like Kamar Usman, you never look good. But yeah. for Masvidal, considering all the circumstances, I, I thought he, his stock actually raised after I this. I agree. In my opinion, just with everything. And then just the, the, the class that he showed after the fight, Masvidal is a star for a reason. Um, he's called game bread for a reason. Yeah. I, I thought he had a tremendous performance. Um, and I thought he did even better than, than I thought he would. So Masvidal will be back. And I, yeah. I would, I would reckon that he could really give Usman a, a good go if they had a rematch. I really believe that. Yeah. And you can see, I think why I'm going to get a game bread tattoo, right? Like, I think we're so aligned on this guy and all he brings to the table. And maybe if we disagreed more, it would make for a better podcast at times. But I think you summed him up perfectly. I do believe even if he wasn't optimally conditioned, he was in very good shape. He had brought in wrestlers, but certainly there were variables, not just the six days, right? But this whole fight island climate, right? All the other UFC 251 athletes had been here for several days and adjusting. Kamar Usman and Jorge Masvidal both had very little time to come yep. here and cut the weight. And I do believe the biggest factor really for Masvidal, Kenny, uh, was the weight cut, right? So he had to sort of manage things a little bit in that octagon. And I do think it would be more competitive if they met again. And Masvidal walked right up to Usman and said, you know, I'll get two more wins and, and we'll do it again. I thought it was funny. Daniel Cormier tweeted, so these guys are friends now, you know. Um, but I always like seeing guys bury the hatchet, you know, even though it seemed like this friction was was legitimate, you know. Oh, you'll see that a lot, right? I, I mean, very few people can understand when you go out there and bleed and sweat with uh, a, a guy that maybe you didn't like very much and you both fight hard. You know what that other dude's about. And, and there's going to be a mutual respect after that. And both those guys fought extremely hard under very difficult circumstances. Both those guys are studs. And I believe we will see both those guys in the octagon fighting each other again. Amazing post-fight interview with, uh, with Jorge Masvidal on the post-show. He's like, you know, oh, I just don't like losing for my kids, apologizing to his kids. I mean, you're right that he was so confident and just so mentally in it for 25 minutes. I don't think he sort of wrapped his head around defeat until minute 22 or 23. You know, he really did uh, give it his best effort despite all of these circumstances that we outlined. All right, in the nature of time, we need to move to the co-main event. Not the start that Alexander Volkanovsky was looking for. And Kenny, he just felt off early on. He said he didn't know if it was the environment, but just had a hard time pulling the trigger early. And uh, thankfully, he had 25 minutes with which to work, and he did win the final three rounds on the scorecards that mattered. You know, I thought it was a 3-2 Max Holloway fight, but uh, I think the, the word robbery is just absurd. And I hate hearing it trotted out when there is a close championship fight. We have a lot of close title fights over 25 minutes. This one, for me, certainly qualified. But uh, Volkanovski leaves Fight Island the way he came as the undisputed featherweight champ. Well, I tweeted after two rounds um, and said Max, Hol- uh, Max Holloway is putting on an absolute clinic. He looks phenomenal. It, looks like he, it looked like he was going to run away with it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, third round came in, and I was like, man, I, I think Max won that, but that was really close. It's getting interesting now. Volkanovski then wins the fourth round. Uh, and then he goes in and wins the fifth round, which I thought was maybe one of the more convincing rounds. Uh, and I said, geez, man, what's going to happen here? Um, I thought Holloway won the first three rounds. I thought yeah, the third too. round was really close, um, but I, I thought it, you know, he did exactly what he needed to do to win that round. Um, it, it's unfortunate, man. Max Holloway made some amazing adjustments. First of all, 
that's the old Holloway. Holloway decided to not be a boxer anymore. He was way lighter on that lead leg, so he didn't yeah. take damage to the calf like he did in that first fight. Um, he was moving in and out. He was mixing up his strikes, something that Holloway hasn't done in a very long time. And wouldn't you know it, he was extremely effective with it, knocking down Volkanovski, hurting Volkanovski throughout that fight, confusing Volkanovski throughout that fight. So not only was he coming forward and mixing things up, but he was utilizing all of his weapons. This was the Max Holloway that I was waiting to see. And I thought he did enough to win this fight. So for me, he's got to be heartbroken. I mean, this was a tough, tough pill to swallow for me. I'm not Max Holloway who put in all that work in camp. Right. So uh, it was tough. And again, I don't want to take away from Volkanovsky's work because, man, uh, the heart, the determination to come back in that fight and make the proper adjustments, uh, adjustments himself, I thought was really impressive. But I agree with you to call this a robbery, um, I think is false. It was a yeah. close fight. Um but I do think the judges got it wrong. Um, I, I would have loved to see a trilogy. I still think it's warranted. Yeah. But you've got to wonder what this does for Max Holloway and where this puts him. I wouldn't be surprised to see if he goes up to 155 to try to mix things up a little bit. Or, you know, I don't know who, who's yeah. who's there at 145 that he hasn't beaten already where he needs to get back to the top. I, I don't know. It, it's just kind of a confusing time uh, for, for Holloway at this point. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could do a title eliminator with uh, Zabit and Max Holloway, but I think a lot of people feel like Magomed Sharipov might get a title fight right now. But, man, these title fights swing on a dime, right? There was like a 90-second window there in round three um, that I thought was Holloway's, that maybe the judges thought was Volkanovsky's. One, two, four, and five seem pretty clear. Uh, I asked Alexander Volkanovsky on the post-show, was this a little too close for comfort? And I just think at the highest levels of the game, Kenny, it's just hard to win these fights. But you summed up Max Holloway well. And I need to look into the camera and say he was not lying at all about the nature of this training camp. Right. Wow. And the thing is, Kenny, like, look at this. Right. Like Brian Ortega, December 2018, they went 20 minutes. Right. And then three more championship fights in training camps in 2019. Five rounds with Poirier in April. Edgar, five rounds in Canada in July. And then December, obviously, was the first meeting with Alexander Volkanovsky. The, the guy was totally fucking cooked going into that Volkanovsky fight. I wouldn't advise yeah. any champion to defend the belt three times in one calendar year. You know, Dominic Cruz had three title fights in 2016. He was like, dude, I was totally fucked, man. You know, well, it's just absolutely. It's absolutely. Listen, everyone loves to talk about Donald Cowboy Cerrone. And why don't why don't they be like Cerrone? He fights every month or whatever it is. Yeah, but ask him how his motivation is for every fight. Ask him how yeah. his body feels for every fight. Ask him if he's expecting to be a world champion every single fight. It's totally different. And to keep up that level of consistency, training camp after training camp, everyone thinks it's just a fight. Okay, well, let's look, to, let's look at Holloway's fights. They've been brutal. They've been wars. But then no one accounts for the training camps. Stick right. around for those training camps for just yeah. a couple weeks and tell me if you would yeah. like to live that lifestyle. You are an absolute Spartan from the dieting to the to the mental pressure to the consistent sparring to the drilling to the conditioning. All that stuff takes its toll on your body. Uh, and Holloway had an absolutely brutal year. And you could see it in his first fight against Volkanovsky. That, to me, didn't look like it was the same. He didn't have the same motivation. He wasn't utilizing yeah. all his weapons. He wasn't moving right. the same. Didn't seem like he was fighting like the, the normal Hawaiian-inspired fighter that we yeah. typically see. We did see that, uh, we did see that uh, this time out, I thought. 
Um, he looked phenomenal. Uh, but again, here he is. He didn't get the decision, which I, I thought was unwarranted. I, I thought a, a trilogy uh, fight would have been tremendous between these two great fighters. Um, maybe we'll still see it. But right. at the end of the day, it's going to be 0-2 for, for Holloway going up against Volkanovski. Yeah, Dana White certainly thought Max Holloway won the fight. Will that be enough to do a trilogy? Sort of hard to wrap your head around it because it is 2-0. Real quickly, so I thought Holloway was pissed at me, right? So, like, he had some issues with the commentary at UFC 245, right? And he felt like we were making too much about the leg kick. So when we did our fighter meeting, I said, yeah, I watched the call back. Maybe we leaned into that narrative a little bit too much. So that was as much as I sort of felt like I was going to give in terms of an apology, right? But he lands a head kick at the end of round one. I go crazy. Horn sounds. He looks right at me, and he goes, shh. And I'm like, what in the fuck is going on? You know, <laughs> He did that to you. I saw him do right that. I thought he was doing it right to the court. Right looking at me, <laughs> right in the eye. So I'm like, is this because DC's not here, you know? Right. So then the second round ends. He lands another seminal blow and gets a knockdown at the end, and I am loud again. Yeah. Horn sounds, looks right fucking at me, and he goes, 2-0, shh. I'm like, what the fuck is going on, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then we didn't make any more contact from there on out because the fight got tough. But uh, right. he was just having fun. I saw him after the fight. Uh, I told him I thought he won 3-2. And, you know, I just, they're both great guys. You know, I have so much respect for Volkanovski. I mean, look at this Volkanovski, yeah. 19 consecutive wins. He's never lost at 145 pounds, but I do think he was fortunate to uh, to escape with the title there. Um, quickly, before we bring on Ray Longo, I do want to get to the third title fight. Piotr Jan is unbelievable, man. Looked like he could have gone 10 fives. He got a second win. Jose Aldo certainly beat up that leg out of, I believe, the southpaw stance, and then he went orthodox out of necessity. Um, but Piotr Jan, at 27 years old, is an undisputed UFC Bantamweight champion, and he's got a Jose Aldo scalp on the resume. Pretty impressive. He's a stud, man. Listen, I, I wasn't sure if he was a proven fighter just yet. Um, he, without a doubt, proved himself to be one of the toughest guys. He is going to be really difficult to beat. You know, I, I do like the way that Aljo, uh, you know, Aljamain Sterling uh, right. matches up against him. Um, but he just showed that he was a little bit too much man for Jose Aldo, period. Uh, you know, I, I, I hate to say that, you know, Aldo certainly has had his better days. But after that first round, if you and, and listen, Aldo did tremendous in those first couple rounds. But if you look at Aldo after that first round, you look at his eyes, it didn't look like he wanted to be there anymore. And, and that didn't bode well. And uh, Jan was eating a lot of leg kicks. He had to switch up his stance. It didn't look like it, it was going to go well for him after that second round. And boy, did he make the right adjustments. And he tended to just get stronger and Aldo got weaker. That's never a good thing in a five-round yeah, fight. Yeah. That, that just did not bode well for uh, Jose Aldo. And, and again, you got to wonder, you know, is it – that he's had too many miles on him at this point in his career, uh, even though he's still a young 33 years old, but he has been fighting for a very long time. Yeah. Um, was it the weight cut? I, I don't know. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, that Russian was just way too tough for him mentally. And we've seen Volkanovsky, of course, the same thing. Holloway against Aldo. When things yeah. get really, really tough for Aldo, he seems to just fade and not want to be there. And... You know, unfortunately, I, Aldo is an absolute legend, one of the best fighters of all time. But I, I think when you have that mentality, when things are going well for you um, and you're the hammer, but you can't be the nail, yeah. it, it's going to be tough for you to go in and get a belt against a lot of these uh, top five guys uh, who, who are so hungry and who have less miles on the tank. Um, I don't know. It, it was a tremendous fight back and forth. 
late yeah. stoppage, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yes. But uh, Piotr Jan is something else, man. Uh, what a champion. Yeah, we're going to save the Leon Roberts venom for the Ray Longo minute coming up here in about four minutes. But uh, all of that being said, you did have it 2-2 going into that fifth round between Jose Aldo and Piotr Jan. So he still is proving, despite maybe the lack of will at times, for lack of a better way to put it, that he can still contend against this young lion. I will say, one man's opinion, I don't think it was the weight cut because we've had some fighter meetings with Jose Aldo when he's competing at featherweight where he is just checked out, not wanting to be there. He has made such dramatic lifestyle changes, Kenny, that when we're doing our fighter meeting with this guy at 35, he's like far more engaged and healthy than he was at 45. It's absolutely incredible to see. So take that for what it's worth. I'm not saying that, you know, it's super healthy for him going down to 35, but he seems to have put in all the right work to make it not a huge factor. That's a great sign, John. You know, and I thought he looked physically looked pretty well. Um, Here's the other thing with Josie Aldo is what happened to his footwork? He's moving his head, but if you're not moving your feet, it does not matter. It's only a matter of time before you get hit. You cannot take those shots at a 35, 45. It doesn't matter the weight class. You can't get hit that many times and expect to still have, you know, gas in the tank. He was getting hit yeah. to the body. He was attacking the body of Piotr Jan, but Jan was moving his feet better than Aldo was, and he was the guy taking leg kicks. Right. So uh, as far as Piotr Jan is concerned, and I want to spin this thing forward very quickly, as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty insulting to mention anybody else as the next title challenger whose name is not Aljamain Sterling, right? I, I just I think he is so richly deserving of a championship opportunity at this point in time that it feels disingenuous to mention any other name. Now, I will say that Marlon Moraes was supposed to fight Piotr Jan in a main event in Kazakhstan, right? And Marlon Moraes did have the head-to-head win over Jose Aldo. So I guess Marais would be in the conversation. I don't want to hear the Cody Garbrandt noise as much as I'd like him. He's just not on that Aljo level in terms of the resume. The fight has got to be Jan Sterling. I know Dana White seems sort of non-committal, um, but you seem to think that Aljamain Sterling might match up pretty well against this absolute killer in Piotr Jan. I, I do. I think Mar- Marlon Marais is a, a, a very talented striker, but... Um, I do think I do think that when things get tough, I think he would fold uh, against someone like a Piotr Jan. I think Jan is just so mentally tough. I don't know if Moraes has that same um, level uh, of determination. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if he can go to that dark place like like Jan can. Um, but yeah. Aljamain Sterling, I think the way that he matches up against him, he's got the submission game, he's got the wrestling, he's got a very unorthodox style that's hard to kind of get a beat on. Um, so I think Sterling brings a lot of things to the table that uh, Jan really hasn't experienced before. Yeah. So I think it's a fascinating matchup. I think Sterling knows he's a tough matchup for someone like Jan. Uh, I mean, what else can Sterling do? I mean, he's yeah. coming off some uh, extremely impressive performances against the elite in that division. He absolutely deserves it. That's the next fight the UFC needs to make. Piotr Jan just has all the qualities of a champion and we could do a quarter of an hour just sort of waxing poetic on that guy I mean he really just has the mental fortitude and and just is an unbelievable boxer to watch live I didn't call most of his early fights in the UFC so I think I want to say the Faber fight was the first time I saw him fight live and I was like holy shit man this dude's gonna be a champion amazing all right support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from the official electric razor of UFC Manscaped have you ever had an awkward moment where you had to grapple with someone who had like a full bush coming out of their singlet no Well, 
Thankfully, Manscaped has everything you need to keep your package nice and tidy. Manscaped truly is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, and their top-notch ball trimmer called the Lawnmower 3.0 will keep you clean without nicks and cuts. Manscaped has also partnered with top-tier MMA athletes like Max Holloway, Francis Ngannou, and Brian Ortega, many others as well, who understand that hygiene matters and also know what it takes to be the best. Well, so does this revolutionary company, Manscaped. They just redesigned the aforementioned Lawnmower 3.0. Features a great ceramic blade with proprietary advanced skin-safe technology. No accidents for me with this thing since I started using it about 10 months ago. And we got a good offer for you today for our listeners and viewers. If you're men, we just don't want you using the same trimmer on your face you're using on your balls. You think I'm using the lawnmower on this mustache? Not a chance. So we'll help you get there to get 20% off and free shipping. Go to manscaped.com. The code is AF. 20% off with free shipping. Your code is AF at manscaped.com. As if I did not read enough promotional spots last evening, wanted to give Manscaped one more today. I promise you I will not read anything that is EA Sports UFC for today. Let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. It's a bloody Sunday, and Ray Longo has time for us today. You know, and he's I, got the big shift mustache. Yeah, let me tell you something. Anything I could do to make this guy a little happier, Kenny, I'll do it. I don't care if I gotta. <laughs> if I gotta be a, let me tell you something, Kenny. If I gotta be a sixty-two-year-old fucking idiot, I'll do it. Cause <laughs> I man, because he looked like he wasn't doing good today, Kenny. He looked uh-huh. like he was down in the dumps. I gotta bring him up. He needs the Super Mario mustache. I like, I like it anyway. You know what? So. I'm going to tell you my whole gig right now. You're getting a different mustache every week for the next month. I'll tell you, that's it. I'm giving up my whole fucking shtick. No charge. No, no charge. charge. Different one. I'm going like to try to find. I'm, I'm looking for a mustache to match his. Uh, this one isn't it though. <laughs> you are, uh, you are the lifeblood of this podcast, and I know we, we keep talking about. I am, I can't believe how much is being made of a mustache in 2020. Like, Crazy. what's the big deal? You know, I got people saying, "Oh, it's distinguished." I got other people saying, "Oh, it ages you 10 years." I mean, as long as Dana White doesn't tell me to shave it, it's probably here to stay. I don't know what to tell people out there. It's just a little hairpiece on top of my lip. It's a catcher's mitt for COVID, whatever you want to call it. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> catcher's. Man, that guy must have been a genius who came up with that catcher's bit. <laughs> I'm thinking Colton Fisk. That's a Colton Fisk mustache you got there. So, uh, all right, Ray, we have a lot to get to with you today. I want to begin with the championship fight between Jose Aldo and Piotr Jan. Piotr Jan looked incredible. Um, first, I just wanted to ask you about the stoppage. I'm not sure exactly what Leon Roberts was waiting for. Oftentimes, referees are waiting for a fighter to maybe move one of their hands away from their face for a strike or two. But I just felt like Aldo absorbed a whole lot of unnecessary damage. And uh, Leon Roberts, I think, deserves to be criticized here on a Sunday morning. Your thoughts? Yeah, I thought that stoppage was, I, I don't want to go horrendous, but it was horrendous. Jose wanted out of that fight. Look, technically, he almost wanted out when he got hit in the liver off his back. I think it was a liver shot. It looked like he came straight down. He curled up in a ball. That fight yeah. could have been stopped there. But then I did think Jose rallied back, and he looked really good. And then he just came to a complete halt. But at the time of the stoppage, he gave every signal he didn't want to be there. I think every signal. And it was at that point he wasn't going to win the fight. You could see the round before. He looked like he was punching at like 30 or 40%. He was just almost like a sparring, light sparring pace. And 
you know, it's a, it's a shame because he took he took a lot of unnecessary damage. And Peter Young could hit, man. He he had his cardio in shape, and I thought he had to battle some adversity uh, with the leg kicks. He switched his stance. He didn't even want to come back because Aldo did what finally did what he should be doing. I thought he should have did more, Kenny. And I, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to say this again. I'm not. I love Kenny, but it, he fought him ten years ago. He fought Jose Aldo. Peter Young fought a guy whose name was Jose Aldo. He didn't fight the Jose. I think it was pretty clear by that fight. And this has taken nothing away from anybody. But I I think 10 years ago, that's in that fight is a totally different fight. That's all I'm saying. So I I had to up to Kenny because you could say you fought Jose Aldo when he was Jose Aldo. You know, we're getting a glimmer of a guy 10 years past when you fought him. So I think he did. I thought I had to off the Jose, had to off the Peter Young, but I thought, uh, you know, he fought a, a guy on the back end. You know what I mean? It's a big difference to me. It really is. You know, I, I wonder, guys, how much of it is mental versus physical. And, and granted, we talked about he's, he's had a lot of miles on him, uh, you know, over the last 10 years. But you got to wonder, and this has been talked about before here on the podcast, you got to wonder what that knockout that Con- what that knockout from Conor McGregor Without did to him. Because, you know, he went from being this invincible guy who was just faster, stronger, better than everybody, um, and got knocked out in 13 seconds. And it felt like with that shot, all of his confidence just kind of stayed in the canvas that it's, night. It, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Kenny, we've seen it in Bog. I'm, I'm just, what's coming to my head now is there right. was a guy, Pepino Cuevas, years ago. I mean, I think the guy was 30-0 and 0 with 29 knockouts. And Thomas Hearns went in there and just yes. annihilated. The guy couldn't win a Never fight. Never the same. Never couldn't the same. Fight. And I, we can, I can give you 10 of those. Yep. You know what I mean? So, I, I, I don't know. I thought there was signs of Jose Aldo in that fight that could have won that fight. I really thought he was almost on his way to winning at one point. You know what I mean? So, I I don't know. I mean, a three-round fight, he wins that fight. I think he would have been the one won the fight. So, so if there is a Bantamweight championship fight that is not Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling next, I can't say that I'm going to boycott the pay-per-view and not call the fight, but... Your guy is so deserving at this point in time. You know Piotr Jan has been on Aljo's radar for a while and vice versa. Talk to me, Ray, right? I think we were all hoping that that title fight would sort of be verbally made on Saturday night. That did not happen. Um, what do you think about the matchup that we all want to see next? Man, I, I'm, I'm all for it now. You know, Aldo's, I mean, uh, Aljo has a real kicking intensive game, which I think is going to be critical. But I think based on what we saw with uh, Jose Aldo, I think, I think it's going to make that matchup more intriguing. And I, I really love Aljo's. Uh, I really love the matchup for Aljo. I really do. I think it's going to be a great fight. And uh, I think we saw a couple of kinks in the armor. I mean, the guy's got great cardio. He's obviously he's very strong. He's, he's excellent. But I, I saw a couple of things I think uh, Aljo could exploit, which makes me really happy. So, uh, so when you're sitting down watching this pay-per-view, Ray, what are you eating? Like, what are you drinking? Like, what are you doing? Uh, man, last night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me change my mustache for this one because this yeah, is. Do it. Do it. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, last night, what the hell did I have? I had, honestly, I drank green tea. Yeah. Uh, and I had, uh, I drank this primal herb product. It was uh, wow. in my immune system. Yeah, it was really, it's really good, man. So I was really just drinking tea. I, I had done, I had a salad before the fights and a, 
blasted me right through. I know I'm boring the piss out of everybody. No, but not at all. A lot of that's what a real sensei would drink. It's a, that's yeah. what a real sensei yeah, I mean, would How drink. do you think I keep this head of hair? <laughs> I got to drink <laughs> a lot of tea. Well, no, drink, drink I, I, the reason I'm day. asking, yeah, the reason I'm asking, and I know you're not a marijuana guy, is because I want to get your scorecard on Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky. But uh, I didn't know if you were under the influence. So how would no, no, you no, score no, that was, featherweight title fight? I was completely straight for that fight. I, so and I started, uh, who did I you thought, think won it? I had I had Holloway winning that fight. I had him winning 40, 48, 47, but it was a close fight. I don't think you could argue with it. But I, I look, if he thought he won the first fight, Holloway, then he definitely thought he won this fight. I mean, I don't blame him for this right. fight. I, right, I, I right. thought he won. I thought he had every reason to believe he won uh i thought he made the adjustments uh volkanowski did come back with great four and five rounds right i had the first three going to holloway with the third round being the pivotal who knows you know he did let him back in the fight and i think that's his you know that's that's on him but he was definitely out ahead of that fight looking great and the other guy made the adjustments and he got the job done but i i I, made me personally had holloway winning but great fight for both guys and then Kamar Usman against Jorge Masvidal. I know Kenny and I have just so much respect for both of these athletes, and uh, that's sort of how we led the show. But for Kamar Usman, right, unless guys are going to be able to stop this style, it's not necessarily incumbent upon him to try to make these fight of the years, you know. It's uh, 12-0 and 0 in the UFC. Look, he did what he had to do, and he did stand up a lot. He had some exchanges, so mm-hmm. it was a good fight for him, I think. Jorge did great taking that fight on last minute and flying across the country. I think yeah. across the world. Sorry about that. Uh, I think you know again, Usman fought. He fought the fight. He had to fight. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I would like to see that run back, even though it was you know pretty dominant. You know, right. I still think you know just based on the guy taking the fight at last minute was. Uh, I thought he did a great job. But no, Usman. I gained a lot of respect for him in that fight. You know what I mean? It wasn't the most exciting fight, but he he did mix it up a little more. He wasn't desperate when he was doing it. You know what I mean? That's the difference right, to right. me. It was calculated, and the other guy couldn't stop him. And, you know, they could have maybe broke it up against the cage a little quicker sometimes. But uh, yep. all in all, he did what he had to do. He fought, a, he fought a very smart fight, and he took a couple of shots. He ate him. He came back with his own stuff. But I don't know if that has to do with, or hey, not having the full training camp, or just right. that's the difference in you know in uh, yeah. ability. You know that that's that that always raises that question. But he did a great job, Usman, and and I thought Masvidal held himself like you know in accountable, and he was he, he looked when he was on, he was on, but he just couldn't sustain that pace. That's the problem. I think there's no doubt if Masvidal had had maybe a couple of extra weeks, the weight cut would have been more seamless. But I will tell you, Kamar Usman after Gilbert Burns was diagnosed with COVID-19. Kamar put on eight pounds, you know. Oh, man. Flew to Dallas and then flew back to Vegas. Literally, he cracked a beer, was about to drink it, and got a text message from his manager saying, we got to fight. So he didn't drink the beer. And that would have been his first beer in 10 months, but he had already put on eight pounds, you know. Um, wow. So there were some challenges for Kamaru as well, and I oh, do no, think no. he deserves. Yeah, oh, no, without a doubt. I'm not taking nothing away because, like you say, last those last-minute replacements – and, you know, different styles, it, it, it sucks for the guy. You know, I mean, I, I think we've seen it with Ferguson and Gaethje. Probably was better off waiting for Khabib. I mean, you know, and this one worked out for Usman. He did the right job. Yeah. But, you know, those things always suck, man. You know, because it, it is important to have a, 
a decent training camp and, you know, be able to have things the way you want them. So at that level anyway. I want to start with Ken Flo here on what was the fight of the night, the rematch between Thug Rose, Nama Yunus, and Jessica Andrade. Kenny, I feel like even Trevor Whitman would acknowledge Andrade's adjustments in this fight, right? This is a really hard matchup for a lot of women on the feet, but I felt like Andrade did a really good job of just trying to move laterally and get her head off of that proverbial center line to try to limit some of Rose's effectiveness. And I thought Andrade had a, had a huge third round. I thought she could have won the fight. Um, what were your thoughts on, on what was the fight of the night? It was a tremendous fight. Uh, I thought Andrade did everything possible to Andrade her way back into the fight. But um, the, the first two rounds were just, it was just Rose Namajunas is an absolute surgeon out there. She was, yeah. she is such a technician and there's just very few females in the world who can move like that, who are as precise as she is. Uh, who can really utilize those those physical advantages uh, against a, a monster like Andrade. Uh, I was blown away by Rose's performance. And then, you know, let's talk about her toughness. She ate a huge shot. I don't know if she broke her orbital there, but it, it was a big shot by Andrade. It was a right hand over the top at one point. I, I thought Andrade came back in that third round and won that. Uh, but Rose did enough to, to, to win that fight. They, they went at each other. The fight was... Uh, there was aggression on both sides. There was excellent technique on both sides. Um, it just Andrade a little bit too little too late. And um, I thought it was to Rose's uh, favor that it, it didn't go five rounds in that one. I thought the third round yeah, kind of helped right. her no, out in that regard. No, and No question about it. She probably trained for those 15 minutes yeah. appropriately, right? I, I, we can't say that. You know, she would have been, if she didn't know it was a five-round fight, she would have prepared right. differently. But again, uh, Rose Namajunas is, is just amazing. Awesome to see her get back in the in the, in the win column and to, to get an opportunity to fight for the belt soon. And um, awesome fight. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I agree with Kenny. I say, look, Rose Namajunas, what she does really good, she boxes, she can punch in balance with the movement. It's it's her footwork that is really the key in, in her, her style. But a lot of people can do one or the other, but she does them both. And, uh, you know, I remember when I worked with Malinaji a little bit, just watching his movement, how he could just leverage those punches and balance. That's what it reminded me of. She really has the boxing down better than anybody with her movement. Uh, the, the way she yeah. combines that and the way she keeps her head, you know, center, and she could always angle out and move. That's what saved it because Andrade did make the adjustments, John. You're right, man. That head movement definitely did uh, really good. But, um... I don't even know what the hell that guy's doing. He just interrupted my thought. But uh, you know what I'm saying? So he, um, I, th I thought it was really, really good. So I really enjoyed listening to that corner as well. You know, Pat Barry obviously has a role. He was super vocal, especially in an arena where there were no fans. Trevor Whitman has value. Chico Camus is like the, the straw that stirs the drink for Rose. I mean, when we did our fighter meeting with her, Kenny, she just said he's so athletic. He's the guy who brings out my flow state in the gym. She could not heap enough praise upon Chico Camus. But uh, you think it's going to be Nama Yunus and Zhang Wei Li, Kenny? You think that's going to be the next strawweight title fight? Listen, I think that's the biggest fight you can make. I think it's the most interesting fight. Um, I would love to see it. I, and again, Same. two very different styles, both very effective in the way they approach the striking game, but they really take two different approaches, which I'm really intrigued about. I don't know who would win that fight, but man, I want to see it. And I think the fans deserve it. Hopefully that's the next one that they make. Yeah. Hey, Ray. Yes. Did you watch the prelims? 
I, um, for the most part, yeah, I think I saw most of them. How about Ken Flo's guy, Yuri Prohaska, out of the Czech fucking Republic? Yeah. This dude is a true martial artist. He is a <laughs> I told you. martial arts. He was talking to us about wanting to show the world breathing techniques in the middle of a fight. Absolute pleasure to get to know him. A pleasure to watch him perform. Volkan Uzdemir has just regained consciousness. What a fucking knockout. Holy shit. No, I was, uh, that, that really was impressive. I mean, I didn't see the other stuff, but I did see the fight. No, he, he's super, super, super impressive. But, you know, you're talking about personalities. I don't know <laughs> why I'm going. I tell you that, Amanda Rivas, holy crap. Oh. I mean, I just feel like I'm a better person after listening to her. Holy shit. Talk <laughs> about being grateful and happy. Man, I oh. hope that's not an act because that is, she just comes right through the screen at you. I mean, she's oh. just. I, what I love the attitude. I mean, I oh. really love the attitude, man. It was crazy. You know what I mean? So I love that. But when you were talking about yeah. the other guy, I just, I, my brain just yeah. shifted. Because I Went talk, to talk about yeah. a personality yeah. jumping oh. off the screen at you. That's it. I mean, she is an absolute doll. Uh, yeah. Fucking marry me, Amanda Hebos, yeah. you know? <laughs> How dare you? Get on the Hebos. Take, um, right, take it back right now, Chrissy. Yeah, Chrissy, I'm going to take it. Take it well, back. Hey. Hey. hey, since you brought up that fight, <laughs> Since you brought up that fight, Amanda Hebas was minus 900, and she probably deserved that distinction, as crazy as it sounds, Ken Flo. The other side of it, obviously, is Paige Van Zandt. I think we all can see Hebas contending at strawweight and certainly contending at flyweight, where there are not a lot of high-level contenders, with all due respect. Um, but what about Paige Van Zandt, Ken Flo? Uh, this fight was kind of over for her before it began. Yeah, this was an unfortunate matchup for to start with. Um, and, you know, you, you said it. You, you look at someone like Amanda Hebos and you say, well, a 900, you know, favorite. That's ridiculous. And she goes out there and shows exactly why she was that 900 favorite. That's about as clean of a performance as you're going to get. I mean, was there a mistake there? It looked like she was going to miss her opportunity to take the back. Didn't matter. She flowed right into one of the mo more gorgeous arm bars you will see. Uh, th there was no mistakes. It was as clean as a performance. Paige Van Zandt is as tough as they come. You could see she did not want to tap. Ultimately, that, that was the only thing she could do. For Paige, this really couldn't have gone worse for her. Um, yeah. You know, she, she really didn't get anything going. There's not, unfortunately, one thing you could really point to to say, well, at least you did this. This is a tough one for it's going to be a tough one for her to come back from and it's going to be a tough one for her to negotiate from. I, I don't know if this bodes well for her as far as um, her wanting that UFC contract um, that she thinks right. she deserves. It, it, it's going to be tough. You know, skill wise, she has a lot of work to do. Paige is as nice as they come. She's as tough as they come. But she's going to have to go back to the drawing board and, and really add some new skill sets to uh, to her game. Hey, Ray. Yeah. Before no, I, mean, I let you go. Yeah. You have one thing that you need to do, okay? Shave my mustache. <laughs> what is it? What is that? Anything for you? What do you want me? All to right. Do? So Shave I've been mustache. able to spend some time. I've been able to spend some time with Matt Sarah here on Fight Island. Uh, uh, my filming. condolences. Sorry. About that. <laughs> <laughs> really, I really feel bad for you. <laughs> he is. Uh, yeah, he's all over the place. He's filming Dana White <laughs> looking for a fight on Monday. Um, but here's your. Here's you know what your, he's uh, looking for right now? He's looking for a plane ticket home. That's what he's looking for. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. That's it. He's right. not maybe, looking for maybe. a plane. He's, just, he's looking for a plane ticket. Anybody got <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah, it may, may, maybe a little weed in a place where they really do not like the devil's lettuce. Oh, All right, wow. this is your mission. Devil's lettuce. No, this is your mission. Isn't that yeah. what they call it, Cody, right? The devil's lettuce. All right, this is your mission. Okay, Ray? Yes. You can't let Matt Sarah leave Fight Island without getting Aljamain Sterling the title shot, right? Yeah, He's Dana right. White's right-hand man. I mean, what you guys got to get this done. Yeah, we're, we're, we're a little weird with asking for favors, but I, I hear you. I'm going to have to put the screws to him. But uh, All right. when is he leaving? Is he staying there? Uh, I think he is staying for maybe one more show and getting out of here, but I, I don't have his itinerary. <laughs> I think I get this out of here. Hey, you um, got anything else before we let you fly, my man? Uh, what else know, you, you got? I mean, you're, you're bringing up for, my whole day. I don't know. You want to know what I had for breakfast? What other interesting questions you have? What <laughs> shoes? Am I wearing <laughs> shoes or sandals? What do you got for me? I want to no, say, I mean, Kenny, I'm watching him smile. That's all I care about. <laughs> that's right. The mustache did it again. Yeah, the mustache got you, man. A little, what are they? Two and physical Two and Two and oh. Yeah. Yeah. What will That's it right. be next week? Cody, can you press, can you market this stuff? What will it be next week? <laughs> oh, the, the billionaire maker Cody Merrow can market this stuff. Absolutely. He's certainly looking for uh, for some sort of tattoo sponsor uh, for the Game Bread tattoo. All right, Ray, we love you. We love uh, the Ray Longo Minute. And uh, I look forward to being back stateside and, and catching up with you next week when I'm a little less uh, under, under the influence. Yeah, a little stressed. Listen, yeah. listen. Stay safe, my friend, please. Hey, Stay thank safe. you, buddy. Okay. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> See you, Ray. Kenny, take it easy. Cody, take care, guys. Yeah. All right, there yeah. he is, the Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. You know I'm going to give Ken Flo a chance to talk about Yuri Prohaska okay, yes. before we forward to the picks. All right, 27 years old, 27 pro mixed martial arts wins, 11 consecutive wins, nine of them by knockout or TKO. He just literally destroyed the number seven guy in the world. Not unlike Israel Adesanya and Jimmy Manawa, he did not want to come to the UFC until he was ready to compete at the elite levels. Three professional losses. Last one was against King Mo in 2015. He has avenged that. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I'll tell you I'm all in on Yuri Prohaska. Bruh. I told you, bro. Yes, I mean, shit. This guy is something else. Again, how's this? All of those things that you just said is true. And can we add that this was his UFC debut against Vulcan Uzdemir? Who does that? I mean, he came out with the karate stance, just like focused, ready to rock. He what? He had like uh, he's like six foot four, moves like a lightweight. The dude is something else and literally giving zero F's out there in his debut. I I was blown away. Um, He was in some tough spots. He battled back from from some serious adversity against Uzdemir uh, and landed perhaps one of the more brutal knockouts in a UFC debut that you will see. And again, he did it against Uzdemir, who has a tremendous chin, who's been there and done that. Uh, Prochaska is going to be one guy to watch. I'm telling you. Don't be surprised if he if he becomes a champion at 205 pounds. The dude is dangerous. If he yeah. can shore in, if he could shore up his his wrestling and get better with his grappling, he's going to be really difficult to beat. I'm telling you right now, man. His length, his size, uh, his is just his determination, man. He's a beast. 
I had breakfast with Michael Bisping after the broadcast. He feels like he's competitive with Dominic Reyes right now. So we'll yeah. see how it goes for Yuri Prohaska moving forward. And on the back end of our main event challenge, we will get some final thoughts on UFC 251 and a couple other prelims from Ken Flo. But we got a couple of handicappers that have been delayed today. So uh, without further delay, we'll get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The Main Event Challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. All right, today's Main Event Challenge is brought to you by OddsShark.com. OddsShark is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks. With expert in-depth analysis for each game, their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. So head over to OddsShark and start playing like a shark today. That is OddsShark.com. Don't forget the second S, and man, am I clicking on that website a lot during fight week. We'll have Joe Osborne coming up before UFC 252. But a big week for both of our handicappers, Ken Flo and Ian Parker. The Muslim Salikov and Lizio Zaleski Dos Santos fight was the difference maker in the swing fight. Team Florian with an 11-point week, but Ian Parker in double digits as well for Team Anik. So 11-10 the final. It is now 82-76 to for Team Anik. We got two fight cards on which to make picks today. So we got two handicappers representing Team Anik, the first of which is the lead fucking horse out of Parkland, Florida, Ian Parker on social media, Ian Parker MMA. What's up, my man? Just trying to survive, you know, 15,000 cases of COVID reported today in Florida. So, John, you got a lot to look forward to coming back here, bro. <laughs> I mean... Uh, but no, let's open school. It's a good idea. So, you know, we're, it's we're, insane. We're, it's insane. Yeah, my kids are not going back to school anytime same. soon. We actually booked a vacation at two different hotels in late July that we have canceled. Right. You can cancel. We booked them just hoping that maybe we could take my kids somewhere fun because the emotional trauma is real. You know, it's like real. I try to bring a lot of levity to my house. Like I'm a fucking idiot half the time. And <laughs> so I feel like when I'm gone, you know, and sometimes I'm FaceTiming my kids like it's just like. I just think there's a lot of weight on these kids at, at varying ages. You know, how are your kids dealing with it? Uh, they're younger, I guess. They're young. They're, you know, my daughter is going through this phase where she dresses like every uh, Disney princess. So she's been wearing this Elsa costume for two days, singing Let It Go while swinging from our kitchen chandelier. <laughs> so now it's becoming more of like a, fuck, she's swinging from the chandelier. She's really bored. <laughs> and, you know, my son's pretty good with everything. You know, I think yeah. it's more of my wife and I just like, it's fucking Groundhog's Day. All oh. right, what are, what are we not going to get to do today? Like, they don't even want to go in the pool, you know? Right, it's like the, right. Like, like, when it's raining, I'm like, oh, something different today, you know? Yes. But it's Florida. It rains for five minutes here and across the street. It's hot as shit. So this is a real mind fuck. Like, I pledged a fraternity in Albany, and that was the biggest mind fuck of my life. This is worse. I'd rather go back in time and get fucking paddled again by a guy, by a six foot two, two thirty all market wrestling yeah. fucking Damien, than yeah. go through this shit for another couple yeah. months. We're gonna, Kenny, you're laughing. I'm not fucking joking. Paddling fucking hurts. I got I got hit fourteen <laughs> times with nothing but jeans on. I have the paddle. This shit sucks. There's actually a YouTube video of me getting paddled. But that's oh, for another yeah. day. This shit's yeah. rough. Yeah, this is this is crazy. Yeah. It's really, oh yeah. I oh, couldn't yeah. <laughs> sit down for a week after I got paddled. I would absolutely go back to Theta Chi fraternity at Gettysburg College and get dip spit in my face if I could go to a restaurant in South Florida. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I'd rather <laughs> yeah. get dip spit in my face in the shit. I got I got tossed in a dog cage and pushed down a few stairs. Yeah. And yeah. that was on a good that was on a good day. I was like, oh, if I if I go unconscious, and you're sleeping, they leave you alone. 
It was either uh, right, go out right. cold or vomit, right? That was yeah. the rule. <laughs> and I think a lot of our international viewers are like, these fucking Americans, what a bunch so of pussies, right? They allow other men to fucking haze them, right? So they can Who be part of this group. <laughs> the thing is, though, I mean, for a lot of us, and again, we got to move on to the picks, but I think for a lot of us, yeah. right, you go to a school that has these Greek affiliations, and if you want to be a part of these house parties, you know, and have all these girls coming to a fraternity house. You want to live in a fraternity house and not the dorms. You put up with some shit for six or eight weeks or 12 in the case of Ian Parker. All right. UFC fight night, Cater versus Ige. And we've got a few picks for you today. Three on this card and then two on the fight card coming up July 18th. So the first fight here is one that just came together. When the Pedro Munoz-Frankie Edgar fight went away, the promotion moved quickly to add a high-profile matchup between Bantamweight contenders. But it will take place at featherweight. Jimmy Rivera, the minus 140 betting favorite against Cody Stamen, who is plus 120. Stamen, as many of you know, coming off that emotional win over Brian Boom Kelleher just a few days after his 18-year-old brother, Jacob, passed away. So Stamen, 19-2-1, only loss since 2014, was to Aljamain Sterling. Ian Parker, close fight on paper. Are you going Rivera the favorite or Stamen the slight dog? I'm going to go with momentum here. I'm going to go with Cody Stamen. I thought that, you know, put all the emotional stuff to the side, which obviously it's it's uh, kudos to him for being able to take that fight. And he fought so well. You know, I thought that was the best Cody Stamen, especially on the feet that we've seen. And Brian Kelleher is uh, is no slouch. Boom is a tough guy. And I thought Stamen handled him really well. You know, at no point did he panic when he got hit. You know, for Jimmy Rivera, this is a guy that people thought was possibly the next star. And he's on a little bit of a losing streak. To not fight that long, to be coming off of a positive, you know, COVID test, and I, I heard he wasn't really feeling all so great. I'm going to go with the – and I'm surprised, actually, that Cody Stamen is an underdog here. Not based on rank, just because of the timing of who fought and when. Right, so I'm, right. going, I'm, going, I'm going Cody Stamen here. Yeah, Cody Stamen has already competed in this climate. Ken Flo on the other side, Jimmy Rivera's lost three of four, the last of which came to the new champion, Piotr Jan. That was all the way back in June of 2019. What do you think about this one? You know, I don't have a whole lot to add. I, I think both fighters are pretty similar. I think the difference is Cody Stamen moves a little bit better. I think Rivera probably hits a little harder. But as far as the overall package and how they mix things together, I like Cody Stamen in this one as well. All right, a couple of plays there on Cody Stamen. We now get to the co-main event at flyweight, so we'll, we will need a, a round and a method of victory. Tim Elliott, minus 130, taking on Ryan Benoit, who is plus 110. So Elliott's back up against the wall here, and he's lost three in a row, twice already here in 2020. Benoit also coming off a loss in what was his UFC return last December. That was up at Bamweight, though. He's had some scale issues in the past, as has Tim Elliott. Uh, your thoughts on the co-main event here at 125? Tim Elliott has been a guy that I've been a fan of for a long time. You know, when he when he fought Demetrius Johnson, I don't think anybody expected him to put up that type of fight. You know, the problem with Tim Elliott is that Tim Elliott keeps beating Tim Elliott. And he just doesn't change. I don't know why he doesn't see a problem with putting himself in these dangerous situations. He's so confident in his jujitsu that he doesn't right. mind putting himself in these situations because he's like, I'm so good, I'm going to get out. But in the last fight, we saw something a little different. We saw something we're not used to. Tim Elliott getting really tired in the second round. He found someone that could keep up with the pace. He's in for a little bit of a rude awakening here. I think if he's going to come in and try to swing wild, I think Ryan Benoit's going to be the better striker. If you look at him for built for this class, packs a lot of muscle. One of the stronger guys physically, I think, in this division. Um, again, I, this is an underdog play for me. You know, betting wise, for me, it's like underdog or pass. So I'm going to go underdog here and take Ryan Benoit. If he can keep this fight on the feet, I think he's got better cardio. I think he's got better striking, better technical boxing. And I think the power 
may get to Tim Elliott. I hate to say that because I do like Tim Elliott, but I'm going Benoit. All right, Ian Parker going with Ryan Benoit. Ken Flo, imagine training for a mixed martial arts contest, and when you get to the host hotel, you have to quarantine in your room for 48 hours. I just saw Ryan Benoit downstairs a few hours ago, and he's happy to have been able to break that quarantine. Crazy backdrop to this fight week. What are your thoughts on the co-main event Wednesday night? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is pretty wild. You know, not you that fight. Been like, fuck no. Like, yeah, you, you know, like, listen. You know what, guys? I'll yeah. see you in Vegas. And I don't do a whole lot on fight week. I usually do stay in my room. But at the same time, for your own mind, your own peace of mind, you got to get out and kind of see go things, be outside, go for a run. Who wants to work outside? You know, who wants to work out uh, in, in in your room? You know, that's horrible. Right, but anyways, right. it, it already smells badly enough. But anyways... Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think Ian makes a lot of good points. I, I do think that Benoit is a, a very good striker. I think he's pretty sharp, um, not too bad on the ground as well. I do think Tim Elliott has the advantage there, uh, probably has the advantage with his wrestling a little bit. This one is a really tough fight for, for me to call. Um, I, I, I like Benoit in there in here as well. I, I don't know if Tim Elliott has that same kind of passion that he had also as well earlier on in his UFC career. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with Benoit. So both of you guys are on underdogs there. I wonder if you guys are going to swing those betting lines. How do you think Ryan Benoit gets it done? Ken Flo? Um, I, I see it, you know, either by decision or him catching Elliott on the feet, uh, you know, maybe around the middle of the second round. I think. He's pretty sharp. Uh, Tim gets a little bit uh, lackadaisical on the feet sometimes, and uh, I could see him maybe catching one on the way in. All right, so for the record, you go on decision or finish? Let's go decision. All right, decision for Ryan Benoit. All right, featherweight main event, Calvin Cater and Danny Gay. Danny Gay plus 235, Ian. Do I have that right? That's a huge number. Yeah, it's a big number, and I'm actually very surprised that Calvin Cater took this fight. I thought he was, uh, that's not a knock on Ige, by the way, because Ige got a huge win against Barbosa. I just personally think Calvin Cater is the next big thing in this division. I think when he fought Zabit, that if that was a five-round fight, he would have won that. Not a lot of guys possess that power with the, just his, ah, uh, his, how far his game has come along is so exciting for fresh blood in that division as well. You know, and I think he'll be able to handle Ige's pace. You know, he, he has shown he's gone against other guys that are, you know, grappling base, be able to hold the zone, keep the fight standing, put it together. <laughs> Cody, <laughs> sorry. but uh, Cody just put on a Boston lineup. Red Sox hat in advance of this Calvin Cater main event for those that can't see our producer today. Go ahead, Ian. And when he flexes, his throat concaves a little bit, which means he is holding <laughs> his breath. I asked a fellow bodybuilder, that is a trick that he used. <laughs> I got to block off that part of the screen. But yeah, I, I like Calvin Cater here. Uh, again, I think Ige is taking on a big test going from Barbosa to Kira. Hey, if Ige wins this fight, uh, anything better than a decision, I would call for a title shot, but I think Cater wins this fight. I'm going to say second round TKO. All right, Ian likes the Bostonian Calvin Cater in that minus 275 range. So this was actually, Kenny, the non-title fight that I was most looking forward to on Fight Island, other than maybe Whitaker Till. But both of these guys, Cater and Ige, just so watchable, so electric. Both have already fought in this COVID-19 climate May 9th. It was Cater over Jeremy Stevens. Dan Ige with a win over Edson Barboza May 16th. He's won six in a row. I love the fact that both of these guys are willing to compete in this eliminator of sorts. Not a title eliminator, but a contender eliminator. I've spent a lot of time with the New England cartel this week. I have doses of respect for Dan Ige. 
Who do you like in the main event Wednesday night, my man? Uh, two exciting fighters going at it. I, I think um, I'm really curious to see how Calvin Cater deals with the leg kicks from Dan Ige. Um, you know, that that has posed some problems for Cater in the past. I do think uh, this is a different Calvin Cater, a more experienced and mature Calvin Cater um, who's coming off a, a lot of momentum now. I, I, I like Cater in this fight. I think he actually catches Ige and gets a TKO stoppage uh, in round two. Um, Cater, uh, is going to be way bigger. He's a huge featherweight man. Uh, oh, Dan yeah. Ige, not the biggest featherweight, but he's as tough as they come. He has a tremendous chin, but I don't think he's got the kind of chin that can, uh, withstand blows from someone like Calvin Cater. I think Cater is, is going to catch him with his hands in, in, in round two. All right. Round two TKO for Calvin Cater. All right, Ian Parker, we're going to give you a parting shot here. And by the way, we love the new microphone. Send me the invoice. I wish we had more time today. I promise you I will give you double the real estate next week. But uh, any parting shot on UFC 251 or COVID-19 or anything else before we let you fly? No, COVID-19 is a fucking asshole. There's not much more to say <laughs> about that guy. Uh, you know, in regards to last night's fights, they got to be better. You know, I, I think uh, yeah. hey, I'm not even going to look at you during the Salikov fight because I don't know if you actually fucking watched it. But uh, there's no way that he won 30-27. <laughs> he got dropped. Fucking yeah. those fought the best fight he ever fought. And even Salikov walked away and goes, fuck, I lost. You know, right. and when he got when his name got called, I was waiting for Buffer to be like, oops, my bad. In the locker room, my back <laughs> gets reversed, whatever. That yeah. didn't happen. Uh, and then obviously with Max Holloway and uh, Volkanovski, you know, people are calling robbery. <clears throat> I think it's a strong word. Close yeah. fight. One and one and two to Max, four and five to Volk for me. I thought round three was a deciding factor, you know. And I think this would be the first time that uh, a guy loses twice, and I would say warrants a third fight. Right. You know, right. I wouldn't mind that one. So on that note, uh, I don't want anyone behind me to get mad at me. I know Ray has softened his opinion on me, so I'm trying to quit while I'm ahead. But uh, that's good. Yeah, you know, it's uh, like I said, it sucks when the judges do that shit because I really thought I did think Max won that fight last night. Yeah, he looks good. Well. I look forward to uh, to seeing you from six feet away when I get back to South Florida, and we will talk to you next Monday for Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till and some more predictions, buddy. Thank you for your time as always. You got it, man. Let the it Duck Ian Parker on social media at Ian Parker MMA. All right, we got more picks coming up for July 18th. Let us get to the pick to click. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner, and I'll never lose. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, now joining us live from the desert on social media. He is at Gamblue, Lou Fidicario, one of the better MMA handicappers out there, longtime friend of the Anakin Florian podcast and friend of mine. Nice to see you, my friend. How you doing today? We're doing great and appreciate uh, Cody rounding everybody up from every corner of the world to be able to speak this morning. I'm telling you, man. All right, well, we got a couple picks for July 18th. It is UFC Fight Night, Figueredo versus Benavidez 2. This co-main event at middleweight is outstanding. Kelvin Gastelum, slightly favored here, minus 125, taking on Jack Hermanson, who is minus 105. We will also take a round and a method of victory from you, gentlemen. I'll give you a little backdrop. So Hermanson had won four in a row going into that main event against Jared Cannonier in Denmark. That was all the way back, though, in September of 2019. He got finished that night. And for Kelvin Gastelum, for my money, he's still one of the better fighters on this roster who have never tasted UFC gold, Lou. He hasn't even competed for the undisputed title, became very close to winning interim gold against Israel Adesanya. I thought Gastelum would maybe be a little bit higher a favorite in this spot. What do you think of the co-main event next Saturday night? I think it's a compelling fight. 
And I think the first round is going to be extremely important. I, I believe that Hermanson kind of needs to get a fast start and kind of get momentum and be a bully. Yeah. And uh, I think that Gastelum is going to have to navigate uh, his size, stay off his back, and get this fight into the second and third round. Because at that point in time, I like who Gastelum's faced in previous bouts. And I don't know how hot a temperature Jack really wants it. Um, yeah. So I, I think the longer it goes, the more I uh, favor Gastelum. And I and since it's a three-round fight, I'm going to have to give respect to both. And I'll say Gastelum, uh, unanimous three-round decision. Yeah, I think that's some sharp analysis. So Kelvin Gastelum can flow, no denying the strength of schedule, but he has lost two in a row, dropped a split to Darren Till at UFC 244 last November. This is a big fight, Kenny, at 185 pounds. What do you think about KG here against Jack Hermanson? You know, uh, I'm a little concerned for for Gastelum uh, at this point in his career. Um, you know, he's kind of in this limbo, I guess you could say, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I would like to see him get back on track, but Hermanson is a huge middleweight. He's definitely going to have a size reach advantage in there. Uh, and I agree with Lou that early on, Hermanson uh, can pose a problem for a lot of guys, both on the feet and on the ground. Um, I do think, uh, like Lou said, uh, that uh, Gaston will get stronger as the fight goes on, uh, tends to get into a rhythm uh, a little bit later and, um, you know, has a, an awesome chin. Um, I, I do think that uh, in the takedown department, that's where he's got to be careful with those guillotine chokes from Hermanson, uh, especially early on in this fight. But I do think experience will prevail. I see Gastelum uh, coming out with the win by decision as well. All right, a couple picks there on Kelvin Gastelum at the short price, minus 125. Brings us to the main event for the UFC's vacant flyweight championship. Davison Figueredo, minus 220. Joseph Benavidez is plus 180. This is a rematch of a fight that was marred by an inadvertent headbutt back in February. Benavidez sort of led in with his head, and both guys have their own opinions about how that fight went down. But there is definitely more heat and friction on this matchup. Lou, it looks like maybe Figueredo has COVID-19. He had it prior, maybe still has it. We still don't know exactly whether or not this flyweight title fight is going to happen. Alexandre Pantoja is coming here as the backup. So you are going to get a flyweight championship fight. But if this fight holds and it's Figueredo and it's Benavidez, who do you like to walk away with the flyweight title? Well, I've been reading, and apparently Figueredo has tested, and he's on a flight. So I don't know if that's substantiated, but that's what I would sure like to think. And my my whole foundation for this fight is... I hope Figueredo's never missed weight before the first Joe B fight. He needs to make weight so that we can talk about an ethical fight. Because for a guy that Joe B's path to victory, in my opinion, is the Formiga approach. You have to wrestle uh, Figueredo. You're not going to stand with this kid, especially Joe B. In this evolution of his career, he has to wrestle him. And the only way he gets a fair fight is is if Figueredo makes the weight. Even if Figueredo makes the weight, I see him being too strong, too big, too fast, too athletic for this Joe B. And I would call a fourth round finish for Figueredo, provided he makes weight. If he comes in at 129 again, then maybe sooner. Right. No, I think that's really the way to start. There is sort of an ethical component to making weight. I mean, Ken Flo always talks about Siding on the dotted line, you're signing that you're going to make weight. That's a part of the contract. 
So Ken Flo Benavidez did win the first round on all three judges' scorecards before Figueredo was able to sort of take advantage of that foul and put Joseph out. What are your thoughts on the flyweight title fight, and ultimately, who do you think wins it? You know, I think for Benavidez, um, you know, you got to hope that he looks at that fight and says, hey, I got to change all these things. The problem is, is that this is something that Benavidez has been doing for a long time. You know, uh, these bad habits are going to be hard to break. And Benavidez really leads with his head way too much. It's extremely dangerous. Uh, and I, I think that, uh, Figueredo is maybe the hardest hitting guy in that division. Um, I, I, I don't love that matchup for Benavidez. Um, you, you got to think that Figueredo is going to come in there and try to do the same thing. Um, and I agree with Lou, if Benavidez isn't able to take it down to the mat, I think he's going to be in big trouble. I like Figueredo, uh, for getting a knockout win. Let's say uh, round three. Uh, I hate it. I love Benavidez, but I don't love this matchup for him. All right, round three for Figueredo is the pick for Ken Flo. On Twitter, you can find Lou at Gamblue, one of the more thoughtful, passionate MMA cappers out there. We always got a spot for you, my man. We appreciate you carving out a few minutes here on a Sunday, and uh, we'll see you later in the year, I'm sure, friend. Great work, you guys. Love the podcast, and keep up the good work. Thanks. Thanks, Lou. Thank you, buddy. There he is, at Gamblue. It's so interesting. As an MMA fan, you come across guys like Lou and handicappers who I start following, and then you develop a friendship. And uh, there's a lot of guys who have very different approaches to, to handicapping mixed martial arts. So uh, happy to give Lou uh, the platform here today. Ken Flo, before we get on out of here, Davey Grant won a $50,000 performance bonus with that huge knockout of Martin Day to kick off the show. I'm not sure if you saw it, but the dude had like two protruding bones on his jaw. So he broke his jaw in two places and fractured his nose. And that guy likes to talk a lot, so hopefully they don't have to wire the jaw shut. But uh, just goes to show you, man, you know, a lot of people were saying they didn't even know David Grant was still on the roster, you know, because injuries have been a big part of the narrative. And uh, just feel good for a guy who's a father of three, I think, to win the bonus. And uh, obviously he paid dearly for the win. But I just I love when a guy like that, who's been sort of a journeyman trying to get healthy, gets that $50,000 bonus because it really is a big deal. Davey Grant's a, 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 just a great guy. He's been around the sport for a long time, a father of three, like you said. Uh, and to see him get a win at this point in his career, uh, and he's got other things going on. I know he has a business and all that stuff, but this is a, pa- a passion project for him. And to see him yeah. get a win on this stage in the UFC um, was a feel-good moment for me. You know, uh, you, you know how hard that guy has worked. Um, and you know, dealing with those kind of injuries, man, that, that a broken jaw is one of the worst things you can experience as a fighter. I hope he recovers quickly. Um, I I hope it's a a safe surgery if he requires one and all that stuff and hope he's recouping well, but at least, you know, recouping off of a win is way easier than recouping off of something like that off of a loss. So, uh, all my best to Davey Grant, man. What a good dude. And you guys go way back, right? Didn't you meet him when he was like a kid or something? Yeah, he actually, I did a seminar back in Newcastle uh, in England back in the day, and he attended it and uh, was just really passionate and asking me all these questions and uh, just kind of loved it. And it's cool to see him uh, do well in the UFC, man. It's awesome. So differentiating between an anaconda choke and a bravo choke i don't know if i'll ever be able to totally figure it out you know dominic cruz has sort of put me in both to try to explain it to me but i do know that makwanamir connie has a damn good anaconda i also know kenny that danny henry spent weeks drilling anaconda defense but this makwanamir connie has got a real good feel for these chokes no 
Yeah, he no, he's got a great front choke. Uh, he utilizes it very well. Uh, Masvidal tries to utilize the same thing uh, on occasion. He caught uh, Kiesa with it, but uh, yeah, man, he hit it perfectly. Henry was a tough matchup for him, I thought, and uh, for Amir Khani to get uh, a submission win over Henry, I thought uh, was a big win for him. And uh, yeah, man, when he gets that, he's he's pretty money. All right, I am excited to touch my top lip to my bottom lip and stop talking for a little bit <laughs> because it has been a long 16 hours. We're going to get some shut eye here in Abu Dhabi. And then of course, start diving into the cater Ige preparation. Ken flows. Jiu-Jitsu school is up and running. May Rocky BJJ.com Florian fight forms is filmed out of that building. So what is your thought? I know you're going to do something on DC and steep. Do you think you might get one in the can for, uh, for Whitaker until here in a couple weeks or what? I am game to do that. Whatever you guys want. And again, fans, hit us up. If you guys want to see something in particular, hit us up. If we have the time and ability to do it, we will get it done for you. So uh, thank you guys for that that, uh, platform, and we'll try to keep those pumping out. Seriously, if you want specific content or fights covered uh, by Kenny and Florian Fight Forms, at Pod on social media, at Pod on both Twitter and Instagram, and uh, we'll get those requests to uh, to the future Hall of Famer, Ken Flo. com is also live. What's the promo code? Is it AF10 or something like that? All right, AF10 if yeah, you yeah. want 10% off of your merchandise, com. I love my coffee mug. I'm missing it here in Abu Dhabi. we got to get on out of here. Thanks to our guest, Ray Longo. Lou Finicario, Ian Parker. This has been a Cody Merrow production. With that, for Ken Plum, John Anik, thank you all for listening. Appreciate the support on the broadcast of UFC 251. Looking forward to getting back to the United States of America. One more show to go. Thank you all for listening, for watching. Don't text and drive. We'll see you next week. Yo, fucking later.